Hi, this is Mike Morse on Open Mic. I'm here with Kevin Dietz, and today's guest is Sharon McPhail. We talk about all kinds of things. We talk about her past, about the mayors, about all the controversies that you've heard about in the news over the last 20, 30 years. We talk a lot about Kwame and her opinions on him and what went right and what went wrong. So stay tuned to this fascinating interview. Joining us this morning is Mike Morse and Corey's Top Dirty. Mike Morse. Mike Morse is in here to tell us about the backpack giveaway here. Adapt and adapt and change things up a little bit every year. Welcome to another episode of Open Mic. I'm Mike Morse here with Kevin Dietz, and today's guest is Sharon McPhail. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for being here. I'm happy to be here, all, all these wonderful people. So I've been hearing your name. I've been a lawyer almost 30 years, and I've been hearing your name for at least that long. And I don't know if we've ever met, but you have a fascinating background. Where'd you? And you went to law school and school in Boston. Is that true? Mm -hmm. I, read well, I started there, and then I finished at U of M Law School. Oh, you did? Mm -hmm. you, okay. Because I saw that you uh, you were at Northeastern, mm -hmm. which I toured with my oldest daughter. I had never heard of Northeastern mm -hmm. until two years ago when I toured it. I thought it was a fabulous school right in the heart of Boston. Yeah, it's got some interesting things, you know, especially those where you work on and so many, you know, a quarter on and a quarter in school. And it gives people actual experience before they get to graduate and they have a resume. It gives you a heads up on... And did you get to Detroit via University of Michigan? You you just stayed after law school? I got to Detroit via a man, oh, as wow. most women do. Okay. <laughs> and um, then, <laughs> but I went to U of M Law School as a transfer student in my third year. And um, then from there, I was just there one day minding my business, and Ford Motor Company came in to interview people and hired me. So when I graduated, I went directly to Ford Motor Company corporate office. And how long did that last? I was there four years. Okay. And um, I really wanted some hands-on litigation experience, but Ford was great experience for what it was. It's just that at that, that time they weren't, you know, trying cases. So I went to Jim Robinson's United States Attorney's office, and I handled all of the um, all the preliminary exams that came in, which was wonderful. Um, you wanted to be in court. TROs, you, yeah. and, you know, I did a lot of... Um, I did all of the VA swine flu cases. You remember the swine flu? Yeah, sure. And those were wonderful experience. They let you do all the work you want to do there. Sure. Because you know, sure. you're not getting any more money anyway. No, right. <laughs> right. You, know? you want to be in court? Go to court. Go to court. Have a ha good time. Handle them all. And, and, so, and, and then what? And then I was trying a swine flu case one day and cross-examining an immunologist when um, there was a firm in there waiting for a motion hearing and they asked me to come and work at the firm. I really was killing them, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> so you, left the US, you left the U.S. Attorney's Office, went to private practice. Yeah. It didn't work out. I didn't, you know, big firm and all of the, you know, the social stuff. I really wasn't into it. So um, I, um, I stayed there a couple of years and I went to a smaller firm for a while. It was really a holding pattern because John O'Hare had asked me to come to the prosecutor's office, but that position wasn't available yet. Oh, okay. We knew it would be. And, and ultimately, I went over there and did the um, corp counsel's position for six months until it became available. And then I became the division chief for the district court division. And you were in the Wayne County's office, I think, about nine years? Mm -hmm. And then how did you get into politics? What I mean, take, take us through that journey. Because I know <laughs> well, you were there for a long time. Yeah, you know, I was... Um, <laughs> I ran for mayor in 1993 because I was a 
president of the Wolverine Bar and then president of the National Bar. I was a treasurer for the NACP Detroit branch, NACP, in a lot of political things, quasi-political. But um, I was looking at Detroit and I was thinking, you know, the one thing I hate about this whole area is that people are so against each other for no reason. You know, there's there's really only one race, and it's human. And and I just had issues with that, and I thought, no one's doing anything about it. And um, also, this place is just going down further and further. Every time you turn around, something else is abandoned. So I decided I could run for mayor because I was on a team of people that was actually supporting Dave Bing to run for mayor, and he said no eventually. But it was a, a big like 10 of us and we were meeting regularly and I was writing the you know proposals the plans for his mayoralty and uh, when he said he changed his mind he looked around the room and said but I think you should run because you wrote <laughs> all of these <laughs> you plans. did all the work yeah so did you it should... ever cross your mind before that point when he looked at you not really I mean I thought about you know every you would sitting in that room but I thought, yeah, you know, how am I going to do that? But he was great about it. He um, supported the campaign. We only raised um, for the primary $105,000. And there were 26 people in that race. And I won. I beat all of them in the primary. In fact, I remain the only woman ever to win a primary for mayor in history. And um, you have to do that before you can run. <laughs> Yeah, the office. That's that's actually fascinating. Twenty six people. That's yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, John Conyers, Art Blackwell, Cushing Berry. I mean, a lot of well known names, and nobody knew who I was. When well, I was going to say your name recognition was probably zero at that point. Yeah, it was one, but yeah. <laughs> okay. one. close to zero. Okay. But I suppose you can get. Were you the only woman running? No, there were women in there. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember who they were, and neither did anyone else. <laughs> and Ar Ar Archer ended up winning that year? He right? won the actual race, the, but yeah. that was because, you know, it was the first time I but, ever ran But you beat him office. in the primary? No, we both won the primary. Okay. He won and I won, I and you. two of us ran against each other for the general. But, um, you know, one of the first things I did was talk about how I was going to sue insurance companies for redlining. Of course, that made them raise $5 million for him, oh. and he was on the air blasting me, you know, the whole time, for the whole six weeks between the primary and the general. So he won the general. So, um, But it was one experience, I mean, that I'll never, you know, regret. This, it was, I learned so much from that. And, and um, that was 1993, mm -hmm. and you ran again in 2005. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what happened between 1993 and 2005. What I did ran you do? for city council, and I, I got a seat on city council. And you were there from 2002 to 2006. Mm, dreadful, Thread, dreadful. That was a well. What happened <laughs> between 93 and 2002? Um, I was working, you know, at um, first at the prosecutor's office, and I left there and I went to work at a, a law firm. Okay. So, so, and, but the, the thought of running for mayor or city council was, was kind of there. You wanted, you, you got the politics bug after running in 93? Not or? really. I just wanted to fix things. You know, I, I wish I could do it without running, but you can't mm -hmm. because the person who can change things in this city is the city's mayor. And at that point, council could do legislation, but now it's really hard to even do the new charter just takes all the power away from council. So they, you know, Mostly figureheads. Still in charge of budget, though. Yeah, well, in charge of, yeah. uh, well, you pushed, know, pushed it, around. It's, it's like, uh, yeah. So you ran for city council in two thousand two. You were there for fourish years. Mm -hmm. You made a face when you said you were there. Why was that such a bad experience? Oh, it was miserable um, because half the people wanted to work and do things that would make a difference for the city, and half of them didn't. Half of them were just there to cause problems, 
and you know just you'd go to the I would go to the table and get called names you know things like uh, one day one of the gentlemen and I use the term loosely told me I was stupid and ugly mm. and I've never been either in my entire I, life okay. and so you know this is the way they they treated you and it was really horrible now Marianne Mahaffey was there and she's a saint and um I loved her and um she was great that was that yeah. you know I haven't heard that name in a long She's time great, great wow lady. she was she there for was a long wonderful. time wasn't she yeah like yeah. oh yeah 30 dec- over 30 I was say years decades mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my first year there I went in one day and said Marianne I just can't take these people anymore and I'm wasting my time here and so I'm going to leave and she said no you're not <laughs> she said you can't leave me because you're the only one who ever you know I protected her I would get to the table and one of the idiots would say Marianne you're not a good leader you're a terrible person and I'd stand up and say stop talking to her like that and she would just like wait (laughs) you know somebody's going to protect me and she deserved it she was great she was wonderful she was dedicated to the city and they were just mean to her not everybody but you know that half that was like that they were just call her names and so I stayed I stayed for her and then did you decide to go off, or did you run? And no, I decided I wasn't doing it anymore. Who was the mayor during that term? Well, we had um, Kwame, his first term. So you were on the board, you were on the council for his first mm-hmm. term. And they was, remember how they used to say, I, Kevin, I used to say I didn't, I was always arguing with him. I never right. argued with him. There were two or three things that I argued with him about because I didn't agree with him, and they were a council prerogative. But pretty much everything is, it was a strong mayor form of government. There really wasn't a lot you could do. So I didn't argue with him about 90% of the stuff. I didn't like 30-year casino deals. We had it over that. There were just- Which was a big issue, though. Yeah, it was a huge issue. But, you know, I, that was my responsibility. I wasn't supposed to just rubber stamp what he did. And, did you, and then you ran in 2005 for the mayor against, um, you ran, there was four. It was Freeman Hendricks, Kwame, you, and Hanson Clark. Oh, was top. Hanson Clark? I guess he yeah. was, well, huh? Yeah. I think he got 8% of the vote. My well, research shows I didn't have any, he got 8%. didn't have any money, not a nickel. Yeah. And But... I wasn't intending to win. That was that was a sort of a plan we had, because one thing I do better than most of them is debate, and I was able to bring a lot to that table that no one else could say because I didn't care because I knew I, w- I didn't have any money. I knew I wasn't going to win. So who you who were you supporting? What was the plan? What's the secret plan? Well, it's still a secret, Mike. <laughs> well, to get you, you <laughs> mean like to get me. issues talked about, things that they neither yes. of them would have mm-hmm. talked about. Yeah. Uh, you could bring them up in a debate if you mm-hmm. were on the yep. stage, and then they had to get discussed. Yeah, they had to take positions. They didn't on have a choice. Things. That's right. But tell me about because listen, I I not a huge you know I don't follow politics all that closely. I vote, of course, but I know that there was a lot of. Um, not infighting, but there's a lot of weird relationships going on between you and Kwame back and forth. You know, you loved each other, you hated each other a little bit, and you were on city council and you decided to run against him because he was already the mayor. Is that, am I missing that? No, no, that's okay, right. Okay, so, you, mm-hmm. so you, you were on city council, you, you said, I'm gonna run against our current mayor. Uh, Freeman Hendricks came into the race, and he, in the primary, Looked like he was going to unseat. Thirty-eight a, points ahead. He looked like he was going to unseat a sitting mayor. Correct. And but, I don't remember why people were not liking Kwame at that time. Do you want to refresh my memory, well, Mr. He had, Deeks? He had a lot of issues in his in his first term. Uh, you refresh know, right, my memory. Well, right from the beginning, when he first got elected, he he uh, 
his first week he put an earring back in which became a symbolic mm -hmm. thing that mm -hmm. he was hiding the earring while he was running and going to senior centers and saying you know who he was and then as soon as he elected elected he puts the earring back in and becomes the hip-hop mayor turns yeah. out he was hiding a lot of things uh, but anyway that's a different topic but there were a but, lot of things that that he got hit for along that first term which he was apologizing a lot there was uh, abuse of city credit cards there was uh uh, uh the uh the use of cars or something cars, in, in, cards, inexperience uh, and just not really petty, clear petty on cash funds the uh you know did just, you think he was a, was he, he a good first term mayor was his first no, term good his you, first you term, had a front row seat his first term was not good but in the second term, he was becoming the kind of mayor he should have been all along. But it was too late, because I think the biggest single thing that happened to him, and this was very unfair of the media, no offense, Kevin, it wasn't Fantastic. you, um, <laughs> it, um, but they started accusing him of murdering a stripper, which was the thing that if I can get you to believe that, then you'll believe anything I say about whoever it is. And not only was it not true, they knew it wasn't true. She was. It was a drug deal gone bad. She was in the car with the, the boyfriend who was the drug deal. I mean, everybody knew. And ultimately, they ended up having to apologize for it, but they did it too late. Three years, they hammered him and called him a murderer. And um, so a lot of that in the second term had to do with some things he really was doing that were just amazing. The first thing was... We took back, he, I was his general counsel, but I was in charge of redesign of the departments for them to meet their mission. So we took back a um, couple of hundred million dollars that was going to these contractors on the outside. We had these you know, proprietary schools that would let people in who were um, functionally illiterate and then wash them out after they gave them a federal loan and took the money from the city. So they'd make 20 grand on people they could never have expected to graduate. We had, I mean, just, I can't even tell you everything I touched was like that. Really criminal, in my view. And so I was in charge of fixing that. And uh, he was letting me fix it. And that really is what happened. There were these organizations that were really mad because they used to live off of that money. And we had, I think, 137 um, organizations, and I got rid of 90 of them wow. the first year. So, so let's just back up just a second. So... I'm trying, just trying to get my history right. Do you did you help? Do you feel like you helped get Kwame his second turn? Oh, I didn't just feel like it. <laughs> well, okay, I was I trying to prove it. I was trying to uh, be political. Maybe. I don't know what I was trying to be. He was so, losing, and he, he, uh, right. and Sharon McPhail was not going to get into the finals, but she had a big following, so she was going to throw her support one way or the other, and it was going to have an impact. Yeah. So is that so? So by you telling your twelve percent or roughly eighteen eighteen percent <laughs> vote for Kwame, you right. think that pushed him over the edge? No, the plan was not to push him with that. The plan was to start it with that, and so I I did that at mm, four weeks before the general. He got twelve points and then fifteen points just off the endorsement, and and we had we were doing some polling on all on this every day. So then I had a commercial. And it was a commercial I couldn't run because I didn't have money, as I just told you. So this commercial was um, from the school board meetings. And you probably remember the takeover of the schools in Detroit. Sure. And Freeman Hendricks was the chair of the takeover board. Of course, he forgot that when he was running. So, um, But he did, what he didn't know is that I had tapes of all of those meetings. And so 
behind his commercial, which had him in the white shirt looking nice, you know, walking down the street as the organization man, we ran this commercial, which was these cops dragging this 70-year-old black woman up the um, stairs. Yeah, up the stairs, dislocating her shoulder, and Freeman in the background screaming, get her out of here, now, oh, now. You remember that? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It was yeah. a great she, commercial, she, wasn't it? <laughs> it was effective. So, yeah. you, so you, and, you were, um, were you working with Kwame's campaign yes. at this time? Mm -hmm. You were, you dropped out and you joined his team? Not right away. I dropped out and I was trying to decide if I was gonna be in it at all. And I pretty much decided not to be. And you know, I was, I had a good friend, Benny Napoleon, and he and I talked about it. And I, you know, I don't need to be in this. Well, right after I said that, there was a local radio talk show host who had a show and Freeman Hendricks was on it. And she asked him how he felt about me and what I might do. Was he seeking my endorsement? And he said, no one cares what she thinks. Really? Interesting. <laughs> that was a bad thing Gotta to say. Gotta be careful that what you not, say. <laughs> that was not good. Because at that point I thought- Made you care. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I do care. But really what I cared about more than that was that who's gonna do what I would like to see them do? And who's going to you know, try to do something for the people? You know, we got a lot of desperate people in the city. And they're desperate because they don't have opportunity. And the, even the free press did a big study about this at one time. There's no opportunity for employment for people from Detroit, outside of Detroit. So inside Detroit, when you start outsourcing everything, you just wipe out any chance for them to work. And so um, I asked Kwame about that, and he said he would do that. that um, and I believed him from the way he said it. So, and he did it, too. He did do it. He let me insource 400 jobs the first year, and then I started, you know, taking back this money and creating these training centers inside the city. I created a um, an LPN training center and a management like lower level car, you know, lots and things like that, managers, and um, a pharmacy tech training center. And we were getting ready to do demolition and construction inside the city, so that people who live there who are paying these taxes can actually work. So um, uh, that didn't make me very popular, as you can imagine, <laughs> with certain kinds of folks. They were not happy because they were getting those millions. Some companies were getting millions of dollars mm. and not doing anything. So um, that, was, that was what I wanted to see happen, and he agreed to do it. Plus, you know, Freeman, really, you want the janitor's vote. What do you mean? You, yes, I care what everybody thinks about me. Where's Freeman Hendricks these days? Who knows? He's, Who cares? Nobody cares. <laughs> no, he's around. He's he, he's a businessman. He's been mm -hmm. successful. He's, okay. he's surviving just fine. Is he still at strategic staffing? I don't know if he's there right now or not. Yeah. To be honest with you, but he's invested in some stuff. And it's so Kwame, so Kwame gets reelected second term with your help. And how soon after that were you, did you uh, get appointed general counsel for him? Was that I like almost was, immediate? No, it was a couple of months. I wasn't planning on doing that. There was no deal. People think there was a deal. There was no deal. And he um, called you and said, will you be my lawyer? Yeah. And you said, yeah. No. I said, let's talk about it. <laughs> okay. And so, obviously you did it. Mm -hmm. And how many years were you general counsel to Three. the city? Three years? Yeah. His whole second term until he left. I left when he left. And, um, you know. That was I, an interesting term. Well, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> as general counsel, you had to been, I mean, you had to be uh, lockstep with everything that was going on. That must have been a nightmare couple years. Actually, no. Um, he didn't, I wasn't involved in that. See, you know, I was the only non-Kwame person there. And so a lot of the other people that were there who were stalwart Kwame people from the beginning didn't really want me there. 
So I wasn't invited. I was invited to the cabinet meetings because I was a cabinet member. But other than that, I didn't go to any of that. So did he have his own personal counsel during all that? I was his counsel for the purpose of that takeover that the governor was trying to put him out of office. I was his counsel for that. And he came to me for, you know, opinions on things because I was actually the only one who would actually practice law. So we had a guest on, Adolf Mongo, um, who told a story that he had, correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, if I say anything here wrong, please stop me and correct me, that he had lunch with Tim Worthy right during this time it sounds like who said we have text messages and we're not going to release them unless he steps if he steps down if he resigns we'll we'll let him go and he said he he was already his team was already on it Kwame's response was my team and i don't know if he was who he was referring to um they're dealing with it and then all hell broke loose and and this happened is any is there truth to that story as far as you know Uh, i don't know but um i know that i was invited to a meeting um a very high-level meeting where there where the prosecutor was and a whole lot of other people and the plan at that point was to seek my support in asking him to resign which i wasn't going to do because i didn't the grounds for removal of a mayor by a governor were not there and people were telling a whole bunch of stories like one of the stories was that the text messages um which were salacious and, you know, but that's about it. There wasn't anything illegal about them. If there's something illegal about them, there's a whole bunch of people that need to go to jail right now because they're all over there giving their friends contracts. But in any event. Uh, but there was, uh, but he did lie under oath, and, and that was that was. You mean pretty, about the affair? Yeah, so he did, he did lie under oath about yeah, the affair, and, and I think that's what you're saying is that doesn't rise to the level, because at the time, if I remember right, everyone was saying you go to court every day and find somebody who lies under oath, and they're not being charged Especially criminally, about, and they're not being... <laughs> well, they had sex but that was, but that, but, but that was kind of that was kind of the deal, though, was that Kim Worthy did decide to charge him with lying under oath, which well, was unusual, right? Yes, very unusual. In fact... Um, it had never happened before. So why do you think she did um, it? Well, I don't know. You better ask her. But <laughs> you know, write I, her down. We're going to have her on. Soon. <laughs> yeah. But I no, I had um, I had nothing to. I was not consulted about that. Had I been consulted about it, I would have said, "Admit it. Go tell your wife and admit it." But nobody asked me. And the person he did ask, he shouldn't have asked about that or anything else because a whole lot of other things decisions were made. Um, I remember one night I had been speaking with him at the office about what was going on and how these text messages are becoming too much of a distraction. And so we need to like make sure that anything, any of these cases involving text messages, that we address it. You know, So he put them all under me. And the letter went out to all these lawyers that they were to consult me before they filed anything. And they needed to because some of these people, you know, they're making admissions and doing all kind of crazy. So, um, you know, I was working on it for a better part of a few weeks. And then a couple of lawyers, one in the office and a couple of outside lawyers, decided they didn't like having to ask me anything. It was the old, you know, the woman thing, right? So um, they went over to the Manugan mansion and had a meeting with him and convinced him that he should pull me out of that and they should be able to make their own decisions and he listened to them yes he did how'd that work out not well <laughs> i will tell you he would not be where he is because when that gary brown case came up for settlement and what the lawyer that was on it told our lawyer in the city who was at that hearing at that settlement meeting 
that they shouldn't call me, they should call the mayor directly, right there, that's where it happened. Because had they called me, I would have handled that, and we would never be here. You mean the federal charges? They weren't charges. There was a, it was a case filed by Gary Brown. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. you're talking about that yeah, settlement. That yeah. settlement, yeah. because that is the beginning, the genesis of all of this. Right, the wrongful firing. Was he fired? Or, right, right. Did, and how did mm -hmm. that settle? Uh, eight million bucks. <laughs> it wasn't uh, Brown and Nelthrop were rewarded yeah. eight million dollars ultimately. Yeah, it was an award. It wasn't a settlement. They should have settled it. They wanted two. Oh, that's for the jury trial. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. right. Who awarded they it? Wanted right, right, right. And that's where the perjury was, and that's where the all of that. You know, so you think there should have been a settlement right away? There should have been a settlement right away. They weren't they asking for never, much in the very beginning. You never let your principal be deposed. Would you have? Would you, you have? Never, would you have? Would I don't disagree with what you just said um, <laughs> at all. Would you have? Um, counseled Kwame to resign over being charged by Kim Worthy? No. But, you, I, but I also wouldn't have turned over thousands of documents without bait stamping them or copying them so I know what I, and somebody else did that. But I wasn't in the loop on that. You know, there's, you know, you don't play with that sort of thing. You, I was in the prosecutor's office. What in the heck is going on? I'm the only one that's ever been in the prosecutor's office. I'm sitting down the hall from you, and you go call, pick up the phone and call somebody else and ask them what you should do. Who was his main consigliere at that time? I don't even... There were, um, there was a guy from the Lewis White and Clay firm, Reuben Mundy, I think. And, no, that wasn't Reuben. Let me get this straight. I don't remember who okay. these people had. I don't know. I, I, were, but I, I wasn't in the that. loop. No, um, so, Sam McCargo. I've heard the names. Yeah, yeah. So he he was, he, was he had Kwame's ear. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so I so okay. So you said before all this this scandal happened, you thought he was doing a decent job. You 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 were guys were getting the city back on track, and you were doing some good things. Obviously, we know what happened, and we know what happened in his trial. We know what his sentence is. What is your position on um, this? The talk about asking our current president to pardon him or give him clemency right now. What is your, um, where, where do you stand on that? Well, I think the sentence was way out of line. I think most people do. Um, when you are, when this young woman police officer can walk into somebody's apartment and he's eating ice cream on his couch and she can kill him and get 10 years, what is 28 years about? And even if he did what they say he did, which was give a contract to some, some people, that's happening every day. If it's wrong, where's the charges? You know, so I, I think that to take his entire life away from him, of course, I did tell him they were going to do that. I, have you read his book? No, I have not. He's got a book. Should I read it? Oh, yeah. Uh, there are two chapters where he talks about the stuff I said to him. And one day I just, he was, seemed to me not to be taking it seriously. And I asked him to come in my office and I, he's much bigger than me, so I'm tall, but he's like, so I stood and looked up at him and I said, they're coming to get you. And they're gonna put you away for your entire life. Do you understand? And he looked like, what? but then he said, you worry too much, they like me. And I said, okay. No, they don't. What was, what was the best offer he was ever given that he turned down? I wasn't in the loop on that. I was trying the case in front of Jennifer Granholm. And um, I was getting ready to put Kwame Kenyatta and um, Ken Cockrell Jr. on the stand the next day. And I was called and told that they had just entered a plea. So I wasn't asked whether I thought that was a good idea. I was told that they threatened to prosecute his wife. And therefore, he agreed to whatever plea they were offering him. But none of this ever had to happen. 
It's just a matter of, you know, some advance attention to some of the details here would have prevented all of this. And the reason I think, you know, I've always felt that the law, if it's not equally applied, is worthless. And it isn't equally applied. We know that in many situations. But this, this was, this was horrific. This guy, you know, whether he was wrong or right, and whether you like him or you don't, 28 years? I mean... You know, it's just ridiculous. It's a, it's a historically high sentencing for those crimes. I mean, there's other politicians who've been uh, convicted of the same crimes. They, if, if, they had, if he was convicted straight up for the crimes that he um, was found guilty of, he would have, I think, done about uh, five to eight years. But they added a conspiracy, which was the extra 20 years. So by adding a RICO conspiracy, um, I mean, they just clobbered him with it. Uh, but he was convicted of it. I mean, they had a jury trial. The, the jury found him guilty of, of the conspiracy. So the judge was within her right to do it. But had he talked plea deal, there definitely would not have been a RICO oh, conspiracy I, charge on that. Yeah, so, I mean, that's so. That's why I asked if uh, Sharon was in the loop on what they offered him and, and what he turned down. Nope. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's fine. So he was, I mean, he was punished for going to trial for sure. Mm -hmm. And so they hit him with everything they could. And when they got the convictions, they pretty much sentenced him at the top of the guidelines. So before I forget, you, you said earlier that you knew, everybody knew what happened to that stripper. Um, and Kevin and I have interviewed a few people who, you know, we, we talk about that party. Did, you know, everybody, did everybody know, was there a party or not a party? No. <laughs> there was not a party? No. Mm-mm. No, his father was over there with some there was people, get -togethers. but there wasn't a, you know, I mean, I, I don't think it even mattered, really. What, was the, what the issue was, was whether or not there was something that happened to this woman that he partook in, and no, there wasn't. And so, you know, but to hang that on somebody, you know, the, there was a plan in place to get him, and it really took off when um, we did the executive order, 2007-1, which was the order that said that if you come into the city and you get tax breaks and use city resources, that you have to have 51% of the employees in your project, whatever it is, residents of the city of Detroit. Well, you would have thought that we, you know, issued an executive order to beat up old ladies on the corner or something. I mean, it was just, you know, that reaction was explosive. And um, it wasn't trade by trade. It was, you know, just 51% of the person hours on the on the job you can't go anywhere else and get a contract you can't go get a contract out in birmingham and not hire people who live in birmingham so you know how is that related to what we're talking about it was there was then a group of people businessmen that came together and decided that they were going to get him out of office and that's all i'll say about that <laughs> okay we got another conspiracy theory <laughs> no it's not a theory i met with them once um because it was wrong, you know, it was wrong. But this is what goes on. So you think these people had power and they... They absolutely had power. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, but, but, you know, having sat through the trial, we watched witnesses come come up and say they paid bribes, and we watched witnesses come up and say that to Bobby Bernard, Ferguson... To his father. Not all of them, no. no some they were, said they gave money to Quan. Some did, yeah. yeah. Sure. See, I don't know. I wasn't there. The only time I came in was the, nobody, the FBI didn't but, even interview me. It was... He, even to the even to the point though, as far as the the pardon um, or the clemency, um, you think he's been in long enough or too long? He's been in 
plenty long enough. <laughs> you you know? still have any contact with him? Yes. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you talked to him? Um, I don't talk to him. I send him things. And he sends. Uh, are you allowed to email? Um, when you're on the email list, but, you know, periodically I'll get a text message from him or something. Usually it's just a thank you. And what do you, what kind of things do you send him? Money. Okay. You know, you have an account and if you don't have any money in it, you can't get a Milky Way. So is that his, now is and that then, his snack of choice, Milky Way? No, it's just mine. <laughs> <laughs> What's this, um, Tell me, I, I, you know, during our extensive research, let's talk about this uh, electric shock allegation from January 2003. I found I don't remember that. I found it fascinating and interesting. I saw a couple different stories going both ways. Can you just give me that story in a couple minutes and, and set the record straight for me? Yeah, I was interviewed by some reporters one day. I don't remember what it was, but they were just constantly on me, you know, about everything and anything. And you were and on the city council at this point? Yes. Okay. And my chief of staff was in my office, and I had one of those chairs, like, not too different from what you're sitting in, um, a recliner. And it had, um, somebody had given me this uh, pad thing that you could, you know, I used to back pain here and there. And it was supposed to vibrate the back pain away. Of course it didn't, but anyway. Um, it had had wires, and they had somehow gotten hooked around the base of the chair. So my chief of staff was trying to pull the wires out under the chair, and this, what was that guy's name, that reporter from the Free Press? He said, he said to my chief of staff, um, oh, do you think the mayor did that? That's how that whole thing started. And you know me it trying sparked, to, right or something the, yeah. the wires it sparked or no, something not even that no, they didn't even do that and I and I I thought I was funny you know <laughs> there was a time I was yeah I was actually voted the most humorous person in my eighth grade class <laughs> I, thought, I thought I was funny so I said well I wouldn't put it past them okay well that was it it was off to the races and from then on nothing else happened that was the whole thing but they just kept bringing it up and bringing it up it's the same way you know what they'll do when the the free press and the news writes a story about me. They'll run a column down the side of they, they did, everything they, went, they ever what said. What happened with that, though? They, they went to Kwame, and Kwame had a, a pretty big comment, I think. I think he said, oh, like, she's lost it or yeah. something. But, or, you know, so it, it yeah. feuded the feud between you or the perceived feud between well, you. In the media, but that's how the media works. They're, they're following it. They don't know exactly what's going on. They perceive there's a feud between you. And, they, and that they story stoke runs. It. Yeah, and then everyone, stoke the fire. everyone doesn't necessarily run to you to find out what really happened. They Read what was in the papers. Well, they knew what so happened. Then they run to Kwame. They say, was there. And they well, run to on, Kwame, though. They said, what happened? What happened? So they did say, you, well, she's, you know. Sharon, did you or did you not say, this is clearly an attempt to undermine me and attack me because they don't like what I'm doing? I probably did say that because I believe it was. But uh, we're talking about the chair electrocution thing. No, I'm talking about the way the press handled that. And their constant, they made it such an issue out of that. Look at that. Is there any possible way that was reasonable to do? I was, according to Marianne Mahaffey, the most prolific legislator she'd seen in 30 years. I wrote the ethics ordinance that they're using now. I wrote it. I wrote the new adult entertainment ordinance. All the, I had a homeless program that took care of all the homeless in Detroit. All they could talk about was that. Why? Because here's somebody that we don't like what she's doing, so we're going to make fun of her. And this is what they did. 
So, you know, I just at one point said, you know what, let them say whatever they want to say. I'm going to use this office to do things for the people that I'm concerned about. And one of the, that one group was the homeless. And one day they came down, a whole bunch of homeless people came to the city council and they brought me a, um, an award they had made. It was called Queen of the Homeless. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of my proudest moments on city council. So they could say what they want to say, okay. but, you know, they didn't know me. And I think they didn't ever give me a chance, really. I was not long ago on, you know, Nolan Finley's show yeah. for two hours. And I think he was surprised because he had never really talked to me. But this is what happens when people don't know you. You know, they don't know you. And they get an attitude or a feeling about you, and they just go with it. But they, they need to try and find out. They need to spend more time, work a little harder to get to know the people if they're going yeah. to write about them. Yeah, you would think. And, and also, if you just look at the disparate treatment, they don't, every time they write an article about Mike Duggan, they don't run down the side that the FBI searched his office and his home and that this and that. They don't do all that, let alone some stupid thing like a chair comment. But every time they would write about me, they would just do that. And I don't know if you remember when I ran and for Kilpatrick mayor. And Kilpatrick, too. Yeah. It was a well, harsh If media. they don't like you, you know, that's what they do. And um, when I ran for mayor, when after I won the primary, did you remember the day they... The Free Press had a whole page of questions for me, and I was—I had my answers. And that they put a big Barbie doll ad on my page, no, right next that. to my face. Well, that was because Paul Hubbard's wife—he was in the race too. He was a social worker in the city. When they asked her what she thought of me, the first woman to ever win—you know—a primary for mayor, she said that I was an overly aggressive Barbie doll. And then they, yeah, and then they placed an ad next to it. That's right. nice. And they said, oh, we didn't mean that. That was an accident. Yeah, okay. So you brought up Mike Duggan. How do you think uh, he's doing as mayor? What's your opinion on him? Uh, oh, honest opinion. Yep, honest opinion. <laughs> I, I knew she was giving me those eyes. <laughs> well, well, I mean, tell me, I don't, I don't know. The I don't extended know. version of the Open Mic Podcast. <laughs> right, no, I, listen, I don't, again, I don't, I don't. Uh, I'm learning about politics. I've been on this podcast now a few months. Kevin's teaching me. We're ans asking really good questions. Tell me why you think he's doing a good or bad job right now. Well, if you're if you're looking at development in the city, you'd have to say he's doing well. He's getting the credit for that. And he should get the credit for that because were he not there, that wouldn't happen. But in terms of the things that, that I was concerned about um, when he was running, we hadn't done any of that. And I don't think he's going to. It has to do with creating opportunity for people who live in the city and making it a more inclusive place, you know, for everybody. And, um, you know, I just don't see any effort headed in that direction. And when you're going to, people overcharge on their property taxes and you're going to say you're not doing anything about it. And, um, you know, all these abandoned houses, more and more money being spent or being asked for for demolition, for example, these bond, demolition bond. They shouldn't vote for that, and they shouldn't vote for that DPS um, bond either. Because the city, it's, it's an effort, and, and I believe it's intentional to drive the city into another bankruptcy. Hmm. And, I, and I think that, you know, it's... Well, you think they want another bankruptcy? Absolutely. Why? What would that do for them? Oh, a whole Wipe lot. People make debt. a lot of money off of bankruptcies. City, municipal okay. bankruptcies, people make a to that. whole I mean, bunch of money off of that. Do you think he's going to run again? I don't know. I'm sure that the people who support him want him to. Um, you know, Mike Duggan is a brilliant politician. That's the one thing you've got to have respect for that. The, um, the way that he won the office in the first place, it was really the only way to do it. All you got to do 
with people in the city of Detroit who have been abused for so many years is say you're prejudiced. And they will break their neck <laughs> getting to the polls to show you they're not. So that really was a very smart move on his part. But once you got there, now you represent people, all of the people. And you need to understand that. And you need to give them something for what they gave you. I'm still waiting. So too few people are benefiting, in your opinion. It, well, or the wrong people. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, every once in a while, you know, you'll get an outlier who gets some kind of contract or does something because people have to do that in order to, you know, say that they're being equal. But it's not just who gets a contract. It's creating opportunities with the resources that you're given. Like when we were there and I was able to create those training centers and I got everybody in. I had Oakland University. I had a, a group in the city that was acting as coaches for the women and I and the men there were some men in there too and all of them graduated all of them took the um, state exam for LPN and passed it so you know I put it together in such a way that you couldn't help but be successful you really had to try hard not to so so let's talk about your this um, the last few years of your career and you've done lots of interesting things um, you were in. You went into the uh, Detroit Community Schools. Mm -hmm. So, tell me. Uh, you know, it sounds like you know. You told me right before we went on camera that uh, you know you're still still dealing with with that fallout. Um, what was your job, and when did you take that job? Well, I was asked to be on the board there, and I was on the board for I don't know six months or whatever it was, and I realized that. The kids weren't learning anything, and it was a problem. Was this? This is not the public schools. It's a charter school. It's a, it's a charter, charter school. schools, and, and it's K through twelve. And it's a private. And it was called Detroit Community Schools. Right, but it's and, a public charter, a public school academy. Okay. Authorized by at that time Saginaw Valley State University, and they were authorizing the school one year at a time, and nobody seemed to be doing anything to make the kids, you know, successful. Like give them an idea of why they were in school. You know, so um, had you ever been in education before? Uh, well, I've done. I had done some teaching. I taught okay. in law school for a while, and um, you know, I I was a social worker before I went to law school, so I was you know familiar with the issues. But they that, came to you. That, yes, they wanted mm -hmm. you to take over the to be on the board. To be and on the board. then and then they when I was on the board, they said, "Don't quit." I was going to quit. They said, "Don't quit. Take over the school." We don't have. They had two counselors running the school. No principals, no superintendents, nothing. They had a deputy superintendent that they didn't want to make the superintendent, so he left. So now the school's got nobody, no administrator. And it was a hot mess in every way. Drugs in the school, gangs riding down on the school, dirty, you know, just a hot mess. So I said, okay. I mean, how hard could it be, right? <laughs> well, wow, you I really like the, challenges, don't you? Yeah, I so looked at the testing. And they were testing at 4.56%. That means that te the, the numbers, level, yeah, right? not even, nowhere near 4%. What they mean, what that means is that of 100 points involving testing, graduation rate, and all of that, this school, Detroit Community Schools, was at 4.56%. So low on the graph that you could barely see the little, you know. Out of 100? So 100 is a perfect score. Right. And... What was the Detroit Public Schools? Could you hand me that? Um, what, <laughs> thank what, you so much. What was the Detroit Public Schools at at that well, time? Well, Detroit Public Schools are it's school by school. Oh, so, okay. you know, but okay. I can tell you right now Detroit Public Schools has 15 of the lowest rated high schools in the state. The lowest rated 25. So, um, 
So anyway, this Mackinac Center for Public Policy does a six-year retrospective on schools. So I go in there and it's uh, right here, 4.56 percent. Which when you get there. is an analysis of graduation rate and, and SAT and the MEEP and all of that. It used to be called the MEEP. So I'm there for six years, at which point in October of 2018, we're at 86.12%, roughly oh, 82. Four to 86. Mm -hmm, roughly 82% improvement, 82 point improvement. So um, we're the number one charter school in the state for st student achievement improvement. That was me. Because I started, I mean, it's a long story. You don't have time for it on this podcast as to what the plan was. But my very first year there, they were expecting to graduate around 42% of the seniors, and I graduated 98. So you were the second highest, second best score. No, uh, the first one's a public school. We were the top oh, charter school top charter. in the okay. state. Yeah, well, it's impressive. For student improvement. I see that now. Okay. So in October of 2018, um, after... About three years of them hounding me about being certified when no one else was. <laughs> what does certified mean? Certified it by means, the state? No, it means you've we've got a, a certain degree in education or something. The in person it. running the school? Mm -hmm. They wanted you to have a certain degree. They wanted me to either have the degree or the certification that comes from them because you've either been a teacher and then a principal and whatever. There's a way, but a you bunch of ways. You weren't going to get all that. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, how could you get that in that short of a time? That takes years and years and years. Well, yes. Or am I missing but, something? No. Um, but, but here's the thing that's important about it. They keep track of who's certified and who isn't. And on their website, you can go on and pull up that when they started coming after me, about 2015, uh, end of 2015, 52% of the public school administrators in the state of Michigan were not certified. Who's they? Who was coming after MDE. You? When the Michigan Department of Education came after me. Why were they coming after you? you got to have a theory on that. Yeah. Well, I know why. Because uh, there's an online reporter out in Ann Arbor, and she wrote a story about me not being certified, and I shouldn't be running the school. Now, I was knocking it out of the park. They had just, Michigan Department of Ed had just named me a Michigan Reward School in my second year there. Because of my graduation rate going up and my test scores starting to go up, all of that was happening. But they couldn't take the heat from this reporter, online reporter, who nobody even paid any attention to, but they did. So they started um, insisting that I should go get certified or I should leave. Okay. So every time they came at me, I you know, gave them the data. First of all, I'm not doing the stuff that you need to be certified to do. I don't write curriculum, I don't evaluate teaching styles. I have people who do that. You know, like Mike Duggan didn't do brain surgery at the, M the uh, DMC. DMC. Right, he hired a brain surgeon, same thing. Well, so they kept after me, and um, every time you turn around, they came after me. Ultimately, it, it um, ended up with them having Bay Mills, which is our second authorizer. Uh, come in in October of 2018 and take over. Well, I was going off on a one-week break, and they took over the school because I wasn't certified. Okay, no one else was either, but then they brought in somebody to replace me who wasn't certified. That doesn't make much sense. You think? And she was not certified. She was there for about four or five months, and they gave her a certification. Didn't do anything for it. They gave it to her. Meanwhile, this is what I did, right? Okay, I, the scores went up under me. They start going down. So then they, there were a bunch of things that happened in there, a lot of detail that isn't really necessary, but the point is um, they were not concerned about certification. That was a, a red herring that they threw out there just to make sure that they could do what they wanted to do, which was to get me out of there and get this online reporter off their back. So, um, you know, when, I, when they did this, they filed a lawsuit 
that had to do with me not being in the school, but it didn't really even have a legal basis. Who filed the lawsuit? Uh, Bay Mills. Okay. And Against you? Yes. Mm-hmm. After you were already gone. Right. And said stuff about me, too. Said all kind of stuff about me that wasn't so. In state court or federal court? In state court. Mm-hmm. And that's still going on right now? No, that one was resolved. That one was settled. That's a lovely story. You would love that. I'll tell you some other time. Okay. But um, anyway, they, um, yeah, they filed that. It got settled, and they had to apologize for everything they said. Okay. Because it was a lie. They also told the press, the press was pretty mad about this, that they had a TRO. Well, you know, if you have a temporary restraining order, what you have to show to get that is that you have a likelihood of success on the merits. Of course, they... The judge never gave them a TRO. Was the TRO about keeping you out of the school? Yes. Because I read that Mm -hmm. article. Yeah. And the judge never gave them a TRO. So they lied on the court, too. So anyway, fine. They were glad to get that over with because we filed a motion about them lying to the court. And they decided, well, let's get rid of this. So they got rid of it. They just paid out my salary for the rest of the year. But they thought they were getting done. But they weren't. And I'll tell you why later. (laughs) So now we filed a lawsuit. And we, have, we had MDE in the lawsuit, and the woman, Leah Breen, from, from the Michigan Department of Education, who did all of this, who got Bay Mills and everybody in a big meeting and conspired with them to find a way to get me out, you know, and did it with no due process, no, none whatsoever. She wouldn't do a hearing, um, even though they're supposed to. She said that um, she didn't have to, and even if uh, I appealed to the state superintendent, he was just going to rubber stamp what she did anyway. I mean, it was really horrible. It was very contentious. And I'm trying to, you know, get these kids here to the point where they're at 80% or more improvement. And I'm doing it, and you're coming after me. Why? You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But it is what they did, and it was wrong. So we're dealing with it. So you're in current. You're you filed a lawsuit. You're you're in current active litigation against mm-hmm. them. Yes. In state court. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that going to resolve soon? You hope. But I think the point is, Mike and um, Kevin, this is something that is taking kids from Brightmore, the poorest neighborhood in the city, who have many of them live in motel rooms with their whole family or in a car or don't have food a lot of the time. Taking those kids from not being educated, not caring about education, to a place where they actually beat every school in the city of Detroit on the math SAT except Renaissance. They beat Cass Tech my last year there. I mean, it's... The the story doesn't make a whole bunch of sense, does it, Kevin? No, I I tell you, I went out to to spend a week at that school, and and if you know these neighborhoods like Brightmore, I mean, they have nothing. They have nothing. They come to school because it'll be the only meal they get. I mean, they have nothing. And the kids at this school, they were finding um, singing talents and um, uh, various educational talents. They were finding out what these kids could do and really drawing them out uh, to be successful. And then they would watch other kids be successful, and they wanted to be successful too. And it just it just was this whole sort of movement with this one small school, a lot of kids, because it's K through 12, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and they were, I mean, it was like a movie. They were they were doing things, changing, literally changing lives, because these kids had nothing. I mean, there was nothing at home. At home is a bad situation for these kids. In school, sometimes it's just 
eight hours away from home. But in this particular case, at that particular time, this was eight hours away where really good things were happening for them and the kids wanted to be there. Which is which is great because that's not that's not the case all over the place. So, I find it hard to believe. I mean, the, what doesn't add up in this whole story is why wouldn't the uh, why wouldn't the the administration that ended up running you out? Why wouldn't they just stand up to the reporter and say, "Look, she's doing a fabulous job, and not everybody is certified, so we have exceptions, or we don't we we like what she's doing." Because the Michigan Department of Education threatened to take away Bay Mills' right to authorize schools if they didn't help get rid of me. And I know that because their lawyer told me. But was there more to it than just this reporter? Because, and I know, I remember the story came out and everyone was like, oh, Sharon McPhail, you know, yeah, you know controversy, everything. whatever, right. yeah. Sharon McPhail, mm -hmm. you know, it's like mm -hmm. a trigger, you know. Mm -hmm. But still, had had they come in and looked at your school and looked at your numbers, they should have been able to stand up to the press and say, man, she's doing something for these kids who, who need something desperately. Mm -hmm. They were concerned about their own but, image. Yeah, they wanted to keep authorized. And they make three, four hundred, five hundred grand off of every school they authorize, at least. It depends on what your student population is. And they get three percent of whatever your you know state aid is. So they were concerned about themselves. And, and as far as they were concerned, I could go. What they didn't understand is I'm not replaceable in that environment. I took a 50% pay cut because the Michigan Department of Education fined the school. So I said, fine, don't pay me. I'll do it for free. I mean, who does that, you know? And I, I gave those kids what they needed. How's the school doing now? Well, the graduation rate has dropped. Um, the SAT scores have dropped. They're on the way down in all of the other scores as well. And it's been one year, a little over one year. Well, I'm sorry you're dealing with all that. Mm -hmm. I, uh, that, that does not sound fun. I, I look forward to hearing uh, the off-the-record stories. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think, uh, you know, this has been really interesting. I learned a lot, and I really appreciate you coming on our podcast. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. And um, you're welcome back anytime. And when your case gets resolved, you want to come back and talk about something else, let us know. Okay, I'll do that. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks for watching the Open Mic Podcast with my co-host Kevin Dietz and Sharon McPhail today. If you liked the podcast, please subscribe, share it, like it, do all those kind of fun things so we can keep doing what we're doing. Thanks a million.